have in my hand? Powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the one thing from Daniel you guys picked up this week? Anything in particular? Prayer? (laughs) He was a praying man. What else? He didn't forget his God. Did I hear that right? He didn't forget his God. Good. And what was one guy who said, God shows up no matter what? Yeah, good. I want to talk to you today out of Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 20 through 39. And we're going to look at the cross, the message of the cross. We've, in some ways, we've become accustomed to the cross. Uh, going out on a trip in, um, I believe it was Memphis. Uh, no, no, it wasn't, maybe it was Little Rock, somewhere in there. There's this church that has erected these three massive crosses, and you see them from several miles away. But they're huge crosses, and they're symbols, they're symbols. And sometimes, some, and in some ways, we get accustomed to that. I mean, we see crosses all the time, big ones like that. See them, people wear them as jewelry. They think the cross is just a, a piece of jewelry. Jeff, that'll be the next slide. They use it to adorn an ear or a neck. Some, for the cross, it's just a, a design of worship. On a click. One mouse click. Does it come up? Okay. There it is. Well, they're all coming. Okay. <laughs> to some, the cross is offensive. And Paul, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three, as we read earlier. It's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. The Greek word for stumbling block is scandalon. We get our word scandal from. It's what trips a person up or causes them to fall. So for some, the cross is a stumbling block. For others, the cross is foolishness. Also, Paul says that in our memory verse this week. Foolishness comes from the word moria, that we get the English word moron from. I was going to say Moriah, then I thought, no, that's my little girl at church. It's Moriah. Sounds too much like Maria, but it's Moria. So to the sophisticated Greeks and, and the intelligent liberals of our time, they think the gospel, the cross, is a moronic foolishness. Only for morons to follow. But there's a few that believe it's a, an object of power and wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, Paul says that those who have grasped the true message... Understand that it's not weak. It's not foolish. It's the power of God, the wisdom of God. Had Satan known what Jesus would accomplish through the cross, I don't think he would have ever pushed him to the cross. Let me say that again. If Satan had known what Jesus would accomplish through the cross, he never would have pushed him to the cross. He would have tried to find another way. Because the cross changed everything. Everything. 
And so today I want to talk to you about the messages that we receive from the cross. First of all, let's get into it. In Mark 15, verses 20, and then verses 24 and 25, which is the cross is a message of torment. Let's see, verse 20. After they had mocked him, in your Bibles as you're, as you're reading with me, as they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put... Uh, uh, his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him, and they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves. I'm in verse 24. Casting lots for them to decide what each would take. And then 25, it was the third hour of the day when they crucified him. So the message of the cross is a message of pain, of suffering, and death. Three times we're told in verses 20 and 24 and 25 that Jesus was crucified. The word means to nail one to a stake. It is a horrible, painful death. We get the, from the Greek word for crucified, we get the word excruciating. Now if you're hurting excruciatingly a a lot, you know you're hurting a lot. Amen? Some have tried to describe What excruciating pain could feel like? For women, it's childbirth. How many women would say amen? Powerful. And it's painful. Especially if you don't get all the medicine you're supposed to at the right time. Now they got medicine. So you just swing your legs off the table and go, okay, what's up? Now that was my experience. We're going all day long, 11.58 at night. They come in with that epidural. This little girl has labored all from 6 in the morning all day. I missed every meal time because she went into heavy labor when it was time to eat. And by the time I got down, it was closed. All day. So, you know, we took snacks and all that stuff. I ate all them. But anyway, because she can't eat. She's having a baby. Well, that was my pain. Now, come on. But I never will forget the, I never will forget when they sent me out, said, said, uh, Sir, we got to give her an epidural. And I come back in, and she's sitting on the side of the bed, swinging her legs, singing, Wee, wee. Excruciating pain, though. There is pain involved in childbirth. For men, they equate passing a kidney stone with having a baby. Now, I don't get it. A kidney stone is probably no bigger than your finger. A baby's head is just substantially bigger than your finger. I don't get the equation of how it hurts the same, but men say it does. You ever bit your tongue? Really bit your tongue? It's excruciating pain. Bleeds. Ah! Certain kinds of surgeries. People talk about excruciating pain. You ever tore your ACL or MCL? or? Yeah, there's a lot of pain in that. Your knees are not supposed to go this way and this way and this way and this way all at one time. That's not supposed to happen. All that stuff gets torn in there. But I want you to take whatever excruciating pain you think you've had times 10,000, and that's what Jesus went through for you on the cross. Imagine childbirth without any medication. Well, did that for years, didn't they? No. And women are tough. I'm telling you, they're tough. Because if men had to have babies, we'd have a low population count. 
But Isaiah looked into the future and saw the death of the Messiah, and he describes it in Isaiah 53. He tells us that his physical pain was unimaginable. One little tidbit about the crucifixion that no one tells you from history and from studying the crucifixion and the Roman crucifixion. They would normally tie their arms on the crossbar and then they would have a little platform that their tiptoes could stand and they would push up and pull while they tried to breathe because you die by drowning in your own fluid. That's how you die at crucifixion. So Jesus didn't have that eye. They nailed him. They nailed his feet. So for him to pull and to push to try to breathe, can you imagine the pain? And then there's one little piece that nobody talks about. And right at the base, you ever, ever uh, uh, bruised your uh, tailbone? Any yeah, of you know what I'm talking about? You can't sit right, you can't fit right, you don't, nothing's, nothing's right. You can sit on any pillow you want, don't work. There's a little bit of piece of wood that they would put right at that spot on a prisoner on, on the cross. And so when they relaxed, where would their tailbone go? Right on that sharp piece of wood that stuck out. So not only was he nailed in crown of thorns and bled for three days and beat on for three days and spit on for days, he goes through the pain of the cross. See, they nailed him there. Pilate's soldiers, though, according to Mark 15, he was scourged. Matthew 27, beaten. Matthew 26, spit upon. In Isaiah 50, his beard was pulled out. And in Mark 15 again, he received a crown of thorns. And we're not talking little bitty thorns. Those hurt on a rose bush. We're talking some substantial thorns here. And not only did they just lay it on his head, they shoved it into his head. All of that so that you and I could have eternal life. Mm. Sentenced to die, suffered as he carried the cross along the Via Della Rosa, defined as the the way of suffering. It was 650 yards long through the city, which was on steps. You'd walk about five or ten steps, and you go up a height, then you go up a height, and you go up a height to get out of the city. The crossbar that he carried was about 110 pounds. Why would he endure that kind of death? Why? Because his love for his lost sheep. He loved you and me enough to endure it. The cross is not a trinket to be worn without thought. It's it's not an amulet to be used to ease superstitions. It's not an idol to be worshipped. It's a symbol of God's love for us. And so we should see it that way. Second message of the cross is the message of tragedy, verses 26 through 32. Pick it up in your Bibles. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Scripture was fulfilled, which says, He 
And he was numbered with transgressors. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, Hey, he saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with Him were also insulting Him. A preacher was dying. And he wanted to have two of his friends that he had made in his ministry come by uh, before he passed. And so he sent for his doctor and his lawyer friend and They both were touched and honored to come and came to his home where he was on hospice and uh, near death. And they came and he asked each of them to stand one on each side of his bed. And they they got in their position. They said, Preacher, we've sure been praying for you and we you know, hope that your passing is peaceful. And he said, Oh, you, you two being here will be one of the crowning moments in my final moments. And they were touched. They were honored. They said, well, why would you say that, preacher? He said, well, as I've read the story of the crucifixion, I've always wanted to know how Jesus felt standing between two thieves. Come on, lighten up, people. Come on. You've heard that before. Come on. But the tragedy in the cross is seen in two different ways. First, it's seen in the attitude of the Jews toward Jesus. They didn't like Him. They didn't receive Him. They didn't want Him. The cross was never God's plan B. The cross was plan A, and they fulfilled it with flawlessness. But the Jews didn't like it. They didn't want it, and they didn't want Him. They rejected Him for some murderer. And then the second tragedy of the cross is that it brings wickedness. The wickedness of man into very sharp focus. The true character of a human heart is revealed by the actions of the lost people at Calvary. How did they treat Him at Calvary? Did they love the Lord? They killed Him. Did they try to lift Him up and to care for Him? No! Yet you and I to this very day, when we feel the call of God in our heart, we still spit at His face. We'll use His name in vain. We'll not do what He's prompting us to do. We simply say, for another time. You may not have another time. Those four Marines went to work at the recruiting center in Chattanooga, Tennessee to never come home. Jesus went to the cross. And the way they treated Him just just shows me the hopelessness of the world. We live in a world where people think money will do it, fame will do it, power will do it. None of it will work unless Jesus is in the middle. The powerful story of Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Love that story. 
They, the strong men that, that served the king took those three and threw them in the furnace and it was so hot. Seven times. He made it seven times hotter than normal. Threw them in. And while they threw them in, they themselves burned up. It was so hot. And so then it was asked, wasn't, how many men did we throw in there? And they said, three. The king says, no, I see a fourth and he looks like the Son of God. Woo! And since they came out, I love the little tidbit when they came out of the furnace, the Bible records that you didn't even, they didn't even smell like smoke. You ever been around a campfire? That's all you smell like for days. It's smoke. It says they didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. That's kind of a fun little detail God likes to throw in there. Because God was in there with them. In fact, Darius asked Daniel when he went to the lion's den, he said, because he was distressed, he didn't want to throw him in, he was tricked. And he said, Daniel, may your God deliver you from the mouths of the lion. And he didn't sleep all night. He didn't. He refused food, entertainment. He ran there at daybreak. And he hollered out, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel said, yes, king, my God protected me. It says he threw in those that were falsely accusing Daniel. And before their bodies hit the ground, the lions destroyed them. So they caught him in midair. <laughs> wow. And we have the audacity... So your reaction to the cross. Hmm. I started to have a picture today, but I just didn't have time to get it together. Of Jesus on the cross. And an artist decided that he was going to do his own rendition of Jesus in the cross. So he put the crucifix with Jesus on it in a cup. A clear cup. And then he began over the next few days, and this I don't mean to profane, but I'm just going to show you how far the world's gone. He then began to urinate and pour it in the cup. And he titled his artwork that was put on display for all to see, The Pissing Christ. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. But how much does it bother me? And how much does it bother you? And should it bother us? Yes. It better bother us. Third message of the cross is that of transfer, verses 33 through 36. It says, When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, alama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The human side of Jesus shows up here because he is hurting and he's wondering, Dad, where are you? When your children got hurt, minor, whatever it was, and they cried out, you knew their cry, didn't you? Now, dads would go over and say, I'm sorry, get up, get up. Well, their legs looking dead. I don't know, you're tough, get up, get up. Now, moms are out there doing everything they can to coddle them, right? Sure. When, when these big football players get hurt, they instantly look for their moms to come and help them. It takes four of us to carry them off the field. 
And their mother shows up. The kid's all of a sudden, he's a limp basket. Oh, mother. Oh, mother. And that mama standing over that, that she-bear standing over that boy saying, Don't you dare come over here. I'll knock you out. And all the trainers back up when mama shows up. They come because they're concerned. Verse 35, when some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he is calling for Elijah. Some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. You see, after a man had done his best to ridicule and belittle the Lord Jesus, God turns the light out on the cross. It's as if God was saying, you've mocked him enough. So during the brightest time of the day, it got pitch dark. Pitch dark. Jesus suffered the worst torment possible. But during those dark hours, your sins and mine were transferred to Him. From the cross, He reached back to creation, forward to eternity, and all the sins that were committed and will ever be committed were brought upon Him at the cross. And that, my friend, is what killed Him. Your sin and mine. All the pain of hell and the undiluted wrath of Almighty God were unleashed on the person, Jesus Christ He literally took our place on that cross. Died our death. Suffered our hell. Paid our price. And because He paid that debt, those who place their trust in Him for salvation are delivered from the debt of sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They are delivered from the threat of hell. So someone wants to kill you for your faith, let them. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through some glad morn. When this life is over, I'll fly away. Get a little quartet music going while they're cutting their heads off. That'd be great. One of the ISIS commanders has become a Christian. Because God began to dream, get him to dream about hell and how he was wrong and what he was doing. This is his testimony. And he said, I was so convinced and it was so real, I realized how wrong I've been. I ran to find somebody who could teach me about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So never give up. Never give up. Fourth is the message of triumph. Verses 37 and 38. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. These verses tell us about the death of Christ. After six hours on the cross, he gave up his spirit. When he knew that the price of sin had been paid and God was eternally satisfied. You do know that Jesus did not, that the Jews did not kill Jesus, don't you? You know the Jews didn't do it. The Romans didn't do it. No one really killed him. He humbled himself and became obedient to the cross. But because of his blood sacrifice, you and I have an opportunity. You and I have hope. And without it, 
Well, that is, we have zero. The words from Jesus from the cross were not the words of a victim, but the shouts of victory. He says, I am finished. It is finished. Boy, I need to sing that song. Gaither wrote, It is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. Oh, that's a powerful song. Look it up on YouTube. Bless you today. His death signaled the defeat of Satan. His death signaled the defeat of sin. His death signaled the defeat of separation. We're now brought in harmony back to God. And we are truly in victory in Jesus. Because of what Jesus did at the cross. And then number five, it's a message of testimony in verse 39. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly this was the Son of God. The cross of Jesus was about far more than death, suffering, and blood. The cross of Jesus was a place of testimony. Christ, God's greatest work was done at the cross. His greatest work was done at the cross because it crushed. It was a fulfillment. It was a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. But the complete fulfillment didn't happen until three days later when He crushed the head of the serpent and walked out of the grave. He, Jesus, has whipped death. <laughs> Amen? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, come on. Now wake up, folks. Here we go. I'm almost done. Let's see. I'm five after. Give me about three more minutes. Come on now. Hallelujah. There we go. Watch out. Watch out. We're going to wake them up, sister. Stay with me, okay? Poor Tegan's up here going, man, this is boring compared to what I just went through for a whole week. Well, it's because they ain't got nothing to shout about, I guess. They wore out. She just saw them dancing up there. Who is that? It was something. It's going to happen. Watch out. His death was not in vain. The very day Jesus died, we know that a lost thief repented. <laughs> One of the hurlers of abuse said, don't forget me. Jesus, don't forget me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Centuries later, His death made the difference in my life. January Thirty-first, nineteen seventy, ten thirty on a Saturday morning. There's no way I was going to go in front of the church and do baptism. Are you kidding? And now look what I do. Don't tell God no. The cross of Christ still trumpets the love of God for lost sinners, and in our day, the testimony of the cross has become muted. By the call of the world and its pleasures. But those who will hear the testimony of the cross will heed its message. Will find that there's power in the message. One of the things they do at CIY is they, they play back kingdom worker testimonies of young people who've opened their kingdom, uh, their uh, kingdom worker card and then what they did. One of the young men that they showed us I thought was just very, very awesome. He said, well, you know, a lot of people do foreign things. They'll go to other countries and they do these marvelous things. They'll work in orphanages or they'll get water wells. They'll raise the money to pay for a water well to be dug and then they'll go watch it done. He said, I just went back to my home and started working with my football team. 
said, I became a believer, you know, I just became a real believer in front of them. I just began to witness to them and talk to them. And he said, more and more of the guys started talking to me. And then he showed at the very end, he said, it took all year, but at the end of our season, he showed a young man that he said, he asked me to baptize him into Christ. Okay. That's kingdom work, isn't it? That's reproduction, isn't it? And if you're not about the reproduction process of bringing others to the Lord, you better get with it because you're, some of you are fixing to die. And you're running late. So you better get with it. Well, I give money at church. Isn't that enough? No. Nope. you got to do it. you got to lead. you got to be part of it. Get hold of it. Keep sharing. Keep talking. If I don't ever talk, I don't ever share. See, you may not be the one that baptizes them, but it's because you shared with them, you've planted a seed, and God's watered that seed. And look what happens five years down the road, ten months down the road, two days down the road. See, you don't know. But if we never say it, if we never testify, if we never give that testimony, they're going to die and go to hell. <coughs> so what is the cross of Jesus to you? Is it just a piece of jewelry? Is it just a religious symbol? Is it a piece that you just hang around your neck? And is it a wall art that you hang over the end of your bed? Is it pure foolishness? Is the cross the power of God into salvation for you? Well, I can tell you, if you'll heed the message of the cross, you will find that salvation is still available. Right now, today. Father, I ask you this morning to move among us and touch our hearts. Reveal in us our need to serve you. Our need to heed you. Our need to respond to the message of the cross. That old rugged cross despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. Would there be one here today who would say, I've wandered far. It's time to come home. Would there be one here today who would have the courage to come up to the cross and just get on their knees and pray to you for forgiveness? Pray to you and make some new commitments, some renewed commitments. Father, we have this whole front area open as an altar to you. I'm praying that one day there will be so many people coming to the front to call out to you for forgiveness, for repentance, that there won't be any room to move. God, I was extremely touched by a picture I saw on a friend's website on Facebook. And that picture was of a young man about Kelsey's age who felt a movement of your spirit in his little life. And while the service was going on, he just walked up to the front of the church and got on his knees before the stage raised his hands and prayed to you. And you remember that day, don't you, Lord? Oh, 
Oh, that our little guys would catch that spirit. Our middle-sized guys would catch that spirit. Us old people would catch that spirit. If there's anybody here today, could there just be one? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing.